Welcome to the Stull Community of Faith podcast. May you be blessed as you listen to our Sunday scripture and message by Pastor Kyle Scheidemann. Well, his name was John. And as he came, as you read from Isaiah, that's partially what Paxton had in it. People knew him locally as being the Baptist. And some would say of him that he was a religious eccentric. Others less kind might dismiss him as saying, oh, he's, he's just a flake. I mean, he just definitely didn't seem to be the kind of guy that would read Dale Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people. That just wasn't his personality. He just somehow doesn't seem to fit in with our story of the, of the shepherds and, and the wise men and, and all the other characters that we traditionally associate with the Christmas story. Yet this was God's unlikely servant that came to herald the spectacular events that was soon going to follow. A most unlikely promotions man, to be sure. But he was God's man nevertheless. And from the beginning, everything about John was very unique. If you remember the story, his mother Elizabeth was related to Mary, the mother of Jesus. They were cousins. And Elizabeth conceived about six months before Mary, but, but Mary happened to be a very young girl. Uh, she was almost a child. The scholars believed that she was probably about the age of 13. But in that time, it was not unusual for a girl that day and that time to be of a childbearing age at such a tender age. Indeed, it's not even unheard of here in contemporary America. But Elizabeth, on the other hand, she was a woman in the golden years of her life. She had never given birth to a child, and you might think of her more in the category of perhaps being a great-grandmother than of a mother. And yet, she and her aging priest of a husband were very unlikely candidates. Of course, we know today it's not out of the question, and I wouldn't recommend it to the grandmothers that are here, not to take it as maybe a, being away from the Lord, but then there was John himself. He was the same age as Jesus. They probably grew up together, they played together, but as they reached adulthood, they were different in so many ways. John began his ministry, and he lived in the, the desert uh, solitude of uh, around Judea. It was a rugged wilderness uh, desert. Of course, we know the story that he fed on honey and wild locusts, and he dressed himself in, in camel hair. And he constantly brooded over the scriptures, especially Isaiah. And that was, uh, that was whom he modeled his own ministry after. And John was not a respecter of, of, of persons or rank either. 
Uh, he had a, he probably wouldn't have made, done very well in the military. He had an intimidating personality. And for that reason, the upper class people, they, they rejected both he and also his message. And if you'd like to read more about that, you can read it in, uh, in Luke on the seventh chapter. But yet, John still gathered a respectable following. He attracted many hearers from a lower class, many of them whom were baptized by his hands. John even grew a, uh, drew a, a group of disciples around him, which is significant because two for two reasons. One is some of the disciples later became disciples of our Lord. And secondly, a number of people began to think of John himself being the long-expected Messiah that Connie was talking about a few minutes ago. And so for that reason, John's gospel felt obliged to, to specifically point out there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for testimony to bear witness to all the light had come to those that would believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to witness to the light. So what is it that drew John to people and, and, to, and to hear his message? Well, John was far-fetched. Uh, his, his lifestyle was, was compelling. It was a reason for people to listen to him and, and, and maybe his strange way convince some people to follow him. I think that many of them actually thought he was Elijah, the prophet who was reincarnated and who had returned. But there was more to John than simply a bizarre, strange life. John understood that God was about to do something that was going to shake the whole foundations of the earth. And he wanted to make sure to be able to prepare a way for that event. John the Baptist prepared the way by living a godly life. In an age of corruption, John the Baptist appeared as clean and a bracing breath of mountain air. In his passionate embrace of goodness, he, he spoke out fearlessly against every form of corruption. And when the religious leaders from Jerusalem turned up in his congregation, he didn't express delight to see them. And he didn't feel complimented that they had done him the honor as attending perhaps we might have done if we were in his place. In fact, he might say something like, Oh, generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? A great preacher once said, The heart does not know, the heart that does not know anger is the heart that is not pure. John's devotion was uncompromising, it was complete, and the impact of his godliness prepared the way. For Jesus. John the Baptist prepared the way by pointing to Christ. John in the desert was in the great tradition of the Hebrew prophets. 
He was aware that time was running out. In his comments, and he publicly uh, denounced Herod, he didn't have time for peripheral matters. He wasn't playing trivial pursuits, nor was he prepared to splash around in the shallows because he knew soon the sword of Herod's guard would flash and his tongue would be silent in the grave. Superficial people came out of Jerusalem to see him. They were intrigued by his strange phenomenon of being a wild man that was preaching repentance. They liked the frivolous things as his dress, his diet, his fierce declamatory oratory just fascinated them. And they wanted to interview him. They wanted then to be able to tell their fans, their families and their friends about the remarkable experience. They would say, John, who are you? But his answer was always curt. They, he knew what they were asking. He said, I am not the Christ. And they would say, are you Elijah? No. Well, then who are you? And John's answer ought to be the ultimate goal of every preacher. I am a voice. There comes a moment when the preacher that stands up before you longs for his hearers to lose sight of everything except his message. Don't listen to my Midwestern accent. Don't search my my biographical details of my university pedigree. Don't look at my clothes. Don't comment on my style. Just listen to what I am saying. I am a voice. Baptism, then for John, was a clearing of the path, a sanctification in which sins and, and hesitations and impediments and all other forms of, of resistance were removed. And the path was cleared for intimacy and holiness and purity and love. Christianity is above all a relational faith. John changes the way that people looked at water. No longer was it a simply a, a purification process like the, the Jewish mikvahs, important for traditional ritualistic cleansing, baptism was an actual heart and mind change, a transformal cleansing and renewal, a preparation for something for a significant life change. John is clear <clears throat> that he is helping people prepare a way to God. He's also clear that baptism is not the end of the story. While water may wash away the silt of sin and may prepare one for an encounter with God, that actual encounter with God is what truly transforms. I had somebody ask me to tell me about baptism. Well, here it goes. The ritual itself is a preparation for something that is much bigger than John could possibly provide. The Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, he will baptize by the fire and the Holy Spirit, the fire that will 
animate and infuse and energize and missionalize people into discipleship and a kingdom way of life. Advent is a perfect time to remember your baptism and also to remind yourself that your story does not end there. Whether you were baptized as I was as an infant or a child and then renewed your vows, maybe at your confirmation, or whether you were baptized fully as an adult, your baptism is not an end in itself. It is only a starting step in your process of discipleship. You are not done. In fact, even after baptism, you must take on the responsibility in your life to continue to to your process of, of heart cleaning. Repentance is not a once and done thing. Every time you prepare to come into God's presence, then you must first search in your heart. Is your prayer time and worship time, is it genuine? Is your heart ready to receive the touch of the Holy Spirit? Is your heart open to love God and others? Or are you carrying impediments within your mind and your heart, your spirit, that cause you shame, guilt, pain, maybe distracts you from living as a disciple that Jesus called you to? Advent, above all, is a time for repentance. It's a call to clear your mind and your heart of the business of this season, of the arguments maybe you've had with your family and your friends, maybe grudges that you've been long held, bad habits that have kept you from making time with God in your life. Now, there's so many things that can distract us, but it's time for us to clear our path and to listen to John's call. The season of Christmas is about transformation. Advent is making sure that we are ready for it. <clears throat> so today, I challenge each of you to remember your baptism. Or if you were young, to remember your moment of confirmation of that baptism. Or perhaps in your life, you have many times or, or other significant times, there's been those times when you have consciously taken Jesus in as your Lord and as your Savior. Remember that feeling of joy and warmth as you received him in your heart and as you answered God's call upon your life. Remember that acknowledgement of God's presence when your cares and your troubles just seemed to melt away. And you felt the Spirit wash over you with security and comfort and relief and acceptance. Whatever your personal experience was, remember it now. Pray for Jesus to help you to remove your sin and your impediments from your life. Not just the sins that you have committed, but those that have been put upon you by others those burdens that you carry, those worries that, that weigh down on your heart. If you are feeling guilt, 
God will clear it. If you are mourning, God will ease it. If you are tired, God will rejuvenate you. If you are distracted, God will focus you. Open your heart, your mind, your spirit, and life to God, and you will never be the same. This is the promise of John. This is the gift of Jesus. And may God be with you in this Advent season of preparation in meaningful and powerful ways, and may you experience his extraordinary love, his peace, and his joy in your heart.